There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James and... I'm John Pigeon. Now, Johnny Boy, we have just announced the M3 National Tour. Are you pumped? I am excited. I know. It's been um, a long time coming, hasn't it? Now, for the sporting nerds, I checked my AFL fixture when I when you gave me those dates. Yeah. Because I get told what to do, listeners. Uh, I, I don't get a say in anything. And uh, coincidentally, there's some unbelievable games the day after we have our shows. Really? Right around the country. Really? So I'm pumped about that just as much as... Seeing people in the flesh. Yeah, wow. Mm. And I mean, just to be clear, John, you know, this isn't a democracy. It's a dictatorship. So <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> you will be... So I think I just... I emailed you on the weekend yeah. with the tour dates and I said, I don't care what you do, but I want you in these cities yes. by 4pm, the day of the tour, and um, send me the bill for the flights. So I had to cancel all my family holidays and uh, mm. yeah, there was uproar. So I'm looking forward to the tour, John, because what I want to do in each capital city, and you can go to sortyourmoneyout.com and click uh, tour or sortyourmoneyout.com forward slash tour. And um, we're doing every capital city except for Darwin. Sorry. Sorry, Darwin. Maybe next time. It's just not enough of you there. Uh, because to fly John and his, um, his rider along... Entourage. Yeah, it just gets expensive. It does. Um, so, we've got national brand partners. So, we've got Bricklet and Open Trader, which you'll hear more from. Uh, but in each capital city, I might get John to do a bit of an update on property, of what's happening on the ground there. Yes. And we are asking you questions when you register. So, at least we know who's going to be in the room. So, if there's 100 people... And 80% are first home buyers. Yeah. We can tailor the content to who's in the room. We can. Or if there's, you know, 80% people who already own their home or who are share investors. So the plan is the first hour we kind of do interactive, um, some teaching, some chatting, and that's not recorded. And then we'll record a live episode uh, with all our people with us. Yeah. So come along. Tickets are only $75 and that includes food and drinks. Uh, we try to do as many as possible on a Friday night so you can um, let the hair down a little bit. Get sloshed. <laughs> Get sloshed, yes. Uh, but um, we're going to have a great time. So we're looking forward uh, to seeing you. Uh, but make sure you get your tickets because, you know, even Sydney, mm. we can only have 130 people in that venue. Is that right? Yeah. Because yeah. some of these venues, John, mm. one hotel, they wanted to charge a minimum of $19,000. Wow. Yeah, and it's like this isn't a um, you know an old school property thing where we're getting people in for free and we're selling in five thousand yeah. dollar packages. Yeah, like this is um, yeah. yeah. So we're thankful that you can invest money and come along, get fed, mm. get dranked, and uh, we're thankful for the um, national partners, Bricklet and 
uh, Open Trader. Yeah. And we're thankful for mm. the local financial advisors and mortgage brokers that we're going to try and get for each Open. event. Yeah. So I know all around the country, the, the people will be awesome, won't they? But uh, which actual capital city are you looking forward to most? Oh, John, don't do this to me. <laughs> not not uh, not the people, it's just the which which city are you looking forward to? To be honest, I'm keen to get over to Perth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I've only been to Perth once. Yeah. Um, what about you? Oh, mine's actually Hobart because I've, no, I've never been to Hobart. Really? No. Yeah. Well, I was actually going to say I'm looking forward to Hobart because it's probably likely to be our smallest audience. Yes. And we might, I think last time I was there when I did that event, you weren't there, but I think there was only like 25, 30 people. Yeah. And it was just so fun. So. Yeah. Mm. And maybe, look, if you are in Brisbane or Sydney and you want to come to the Hobart event instead, yeah. you organise a long weekend and come down yeah. to Hobart with us. That's right. Or if you're in Darwin, you can fly to Hobart. Or Adelaide. Or Perth. <laughs> or Perth. Wherever. Or Bali. Or Bali. Yeah. So, look, we're looking forward to it. Lots of fun. And uh, we're ready to answer some questions now. Are you ready to get into this, Johnny boy? Let's do it. Okay, this one here, Tanea in the Facebook group, and this was only a, a very recent post. She asked, just wondering what the financial implications are of selling a house around two years after having purchased it. Mm. So, John, let's break this down. Yes. Um, generally speaking, if you've got a house, there's usually only two ways that you would hold this house. One to live in and one as an investment property. Yep. So, let's talk about the financial ramifications if you've sold the house or about to after living in it for two years. What are the ramifications for um, the home if it is the house that you're living in? Okay. So, uh, it is their own home. They, they've lived in it. They've had it for, for two years. Generally speaking, there'd be no capital gains tax applied. Yeah. So, argument's sake, um, if they paid five hundred grand for it, yep. uh, in the twelve months that they've lived in it, it may have increased to six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Ordinarily, if it was an investment property, the gain of one hundred thousand dollars would be assessable gain as a capital gain. Mm-hmm. Ordinarily, and we've kind of probably got to answer this both ways at the same time. Ordinarily, if that property was an investment property, that $100,000 worth of growth would be taxable. And because you've held that asset for more than 12 months, you could apply some capital gains tax discount. Mm -hmm. Now, the main discount that is used is the 50% rule, which would mean that 50% of 100000 the gain, or $50,000 would be added on to your taxable income and yep. your taxed at your marginal tax rate. Yep. Now, if it was an investment property that was owned by a spouse and their partner or the two spouses, how would you say? What's a plural for spouse? By spouses? Um, you should only have one. Yeah. But if it was owned by both, yep. that $50,000 would be split. Mm. So, twenty five grand on each person's tax return. Yeah. As long as their, property. their split was 50%. Yeah. Yeah. So, what... I guess what we're saying is there are financial implications, even if there's no capital gains tax, mm. 
you know, you've got to pay agents fees. Yes. If you, you're selling it through an agent. So, John, I would probably hypothesize that if someone paid $500,000 for the property, two years later, it was still only worth 500000 mm. Once they sell that, it could be at a loss. Yeah, especially when you look at – because I look at financial implications at the start and at the end. Mm. And the cost of transacting in property is not that cheap compared to, say, shares. Mm. So, stamp duty was applied at the start most of the time unless it's first home buy. So, you might include 20 grand at the start depending on which state you're in Mm. as well as your 2%, 10 grand at the end for selling fees plus your marketing fees. Um, If it was auction, you pay an auctioning fee. Mm. So – yeah, if you're selling it for less than five fifty, there'd really be no profit. Yeah, and that's why it's so important, guys. When you are thinking about purchasing a house, whether it's a house to live in or an investment property, it is a growth asset. So we need to have the mindset. I think going in, John, mm. that we need to hold this for maybe at least seven years. Yeah, unless we're doing some uh, extreme improvements to it. Yeah, like you might have stole a shack, you know, knocked it over, did a development. Yeah. So, there are financial implications, uh, both if you live in the house and as an investment property. Mm -hmm. Now, I will just add, John, and this can be nuanced, so I think we might just tell people, speak to your accountant or financial advisor before you do anything. Because there is a main residence exemption rule. And you can just Google main residence exemption, ATO, mm-hmm. and it, it's often called the 6U rule. So, I'll use an example. If you were living in your house under the main residence exemption, you got the caravan and the kids like you just did around New South Wales. Mm-hmm. You had someone in the house, you know, renting it. Yep. And you didn't have any other home as your main resident and you're caravaning around not paying rent or whether you're paying rent it didn't really matter yeah you've really got six years that you can sell that property and still get capital gains tax exemption so i just want to flag the six-year rule right now Mm -hmm. and i want to wrap that in you just need to get some advice and talk to your accountant before you do anything so just on this main residence exemption because we do need to pad this with get advice from your accountant. Uh, John, can you pull up the ATO website there and just read uh, a little bit of that? Yeah, so it says, um, when does a dwelling stop being your main residence? Indicators that a dwelling has stopped being your main residence include you and your family no longer live in it, your personal belongings are not kept in it, it is no longer the address your mail is delivered to, it is no longer your address on the electoral roll, and services such as gas and power are no longer connected. So you could be living out of the property and and potentially renting it out, but have taken all your personal belongings because it's not a furnished home and you could be liable. So it's really important to yeah, chat to your accountant. And that's right, and have some planning around it. Mm. So I want to dig deeper into this financial implications of selling a house around two years after purchasing it. Yeah. We need to know how much it's worth. And often, there's usually two opinions. It's the agent who's trying to get the sale, Mm -hmm. so the agent can then sell it. And secondly, there's the bank vow that the bank might send out to get a value for um, borrowing, Mm -hmm. which is conservative, usually. 
So, some implications, John, could be if it's not worth anything, if it's not worth more than what you paid for it, we don't want to sell it and have it at a loss. So, we need to think of implications if we could keep the property and have a tenant in it and instead of taking a bath on $30,000, take a bath on $5,000 a year to keep it as an investment property, cash flow it, negatively gear, and then review in a couple of years. Yeah, so absolutely. So, kind of take the risk and instead of taking a 20 grand bath, if it has gone down in value, go, look, we're just going to assess in 12 months. We'll take a five grand bath over the first year now. Yeah. And at least we can claim that on tax. Yeah. So, it's just about being strategic, isn't it? Yeah. I, th- I think you just got to first ask yourself, why are you selling? Mm. Like, you should want to sell, not have to sell. So, you, you don't want to get yourself in a position where you have to sell. But there's a, it's a really good question at this time because property prices in general around the country have gone north in the last couple of years. So, there may be the word greed coming into the, the conversation where, okay, I've got a property, 500 grand, it's now worth 700 grand, I'm going to take my money and run. Right, because oh, that's that's great. I've never made two hundred grand in my life. But where, the, old, the old classic smash and grab. Yeah, well, like where are we putting it? And what are we going to do with that two hundred grand? And it's not actually two hundred grand when you factor in the stamp you've paid if you've paid mm. it, agents' costs, um, the, the the cost of transacting. So people look at the raw numbers. Yes, it's gone up two hundred grand, but it's not actually. Uh, and and where are we going to put that money if we do sell it? So. Mm. Yeah, you've got to have know the long-term outcome for your, for your financial wealth as well. And I guess if, if you're selling a house two years after purchasing it due to a relationship breakdown, well, we know relationship breakdowns can cost money. Yeah. And this could just um, exacerbate that cost if it isn't worth more than what you paid for it. Yeah. And it's just – and this is why I'm just camping here a little bit. Property does not always go up in value. There is markets working within markets, you know, Mm. the property price could be humming along, you know, on the front page of the newspaper, but apartment dwellings in capital cities might have taken a bath. So, we just need to um, get some advice. If in doubt, talk to somebody. Yeah. And as you said before, like what's, what's the other alternative? as opposed to selling. So, Mm. can you take advantage of that growth in the market? Because in a heated market, uh, the valuers are jumping out of bed. They're Mm. they're pretty happy to come and value a home confidently because they've seen such rises. So, it's going to get valued pretty well. Can you lock that in by extracting some equity Mm. uh, and then um, being able to build the portfolio versus trading one for another? Totally. Siobhan had a question here. In one of your very early episodes, good goodness, don't bring that up. You mentioned your rent shouldn't be more than 30% of your pay. Mine is 50%, but I'm struggling to find a job with a higher income. Any tips? So, John, as a, a general rule of thumb, we know that, you know, if you've got a, a mortgage and you're, and we talk about these percentages as a, a take-home salary, so a net pay, yeah. if your mortgage is like, 40% or more of your net take home, you're in mortgage stress. Yeah. And what that can lead to is, you know, you borrow money to pay for other living costs. So things just can cascade mm. and your quality of life can be decreased because of it. Now, we say 
under 30% is good. 25% is great. Ideal. 20% is amazing. Mm. And remember, zero is unicorn tears and rainbows because it means you own the place or you don't have to pay a rent or a mortgage. Yep. So, Siobhan, what I would probably suggest is I have a look at a, a couple of things with this. I want you to work out if it's 50% of your net take home and then can it change within the next six months? And you've only talked about one side of the equation here to find a job with a higher income. You might have to do the other side of the equation Uh. and move somewhere with cheaper rent, which might not be possible, but we know it's not sustainable because you know you're struggling now and I'll really encourage you to see if it can change. Like I was talking to someone uh, just yesterday, John, and they're moving into a new property and I said, oh, is the net take home under 30%? And he crunched the numbers and he goes, oh, it's 38 And I said, well, before you pull the trigger on that, you need to line up some other ducks and if you can't get that down to under 30% within the first six months to a year... I think it's a showstopper mm. because it's just too much house. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think like she doesn't say that she's struggling, but she's just looking at the percentage and saying, well, that's high to what uh, Glenn's preaching. So I think it, it, it does depend on what else is happening in her life as well. Like if there's a, if there's a car loan and, uh, and credit cards and, and they eat a lot and there's three kids, like there's there's a lot of expenditure in the life. So 50% is massive. Mm. But if single, no car loans, no credit card debt, um, no major expenses other than that, and, and she appreciates the fact that she's got her dream home or whatever it is, then she might be okay. Yeah, I'm still saying it's 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 not good longer mm. term because- No, we, we want to get it down. We want to get it down so we can- uh, maybe invest more mm. for our future yeah. so we can have a good quality of life so we can give more. So we just know that, you know, it's not ideal in the long term. No. But we want to make sure within the very short term, almost clipping medium term. So I'm thinking yeah. less than a year. Yeah. yeah. At I, a maximum. I think we both agree that getting a higher paying job doesn't fix everything. But she might have made the decision, oh, I'm going into a, a blue chip suburb, I'm taking on a bit more debt, but I think the growth's going to be far superior, whatever, and I've, I've got buffers in my life, I might be okay in the short term. Yeah, so we'll leave that there. Do you want to read that question from Patty Fuzz? Patty, leaving the corporate world to do a carpentry app- apprenticeship, three steps back, got 10 forward, how to save while reducing a wage? Glenn. Well, I think it goes to this, it's almost like the rent thing. It's like, you know, just because it's a tight squeeze, it it's okay to go through a period of a tight squeeze, whether we're paying down debt, whether we're aggressively saving for a, a mortgage deposit, yep. whether we are aggressively, you know, trying to invest in our own career. I think the tight squeeze with a good goal at the end of it can be fine. I wouldn't want people to be in a tight squeeze for really more than a year or so Mm. because it can just get too onerous on our life. Stressful, But I would probably say, Paddy, while you're doing the carpentry apprenticeship, um, 
you need to do a couple of things. Number one, you've got to make sure you're just staying away from all consumer debt. You want your budget to be as lean and as mean as possible. You want your rent to be as lean as mean as possible because we know during apprenticeships and traineeships, the money isn't great. And sometimes we have to take some steps back to go forward. I would also say, I just want you to maybe get to a, a point where, you know, you've saved maybe just a $2,000 emergency fund because while you're on a lower income, the thing isn't to save more money. The thing is to make sure you're getting the most bang for your buck with what you've got and investing in your own education, mm-hmm. which means apprenticeship. Yeah. So, I, like I say, when you're at university, I don't care if you leave university and you've got $1 to your name, you've kept away from consumer debt and you've worked on your good habits and behaviours with the money that you do have. Mm. If you can get to the end of university, if you can get to the end of your apprenticeship with no consumer debt, with $1 savings, we can do a lot with that. So, take the pressure off yourself. You're actually investing at the moment. Uh, You're investing into your own life and career. Now, I will say on a practical terms, I know a lot of apprentices, maybe after the first year, they could have built my back deck. Can you go and help people repair decks? Can you go and get some extra cash on the side with the permission of your employer? Yeah. And do some little cashies. Yeah. So, first of all, Paddy, well done on taking the plunge out of the corporate world and getting into an apprenticeship. Like I would, I'm just surmising here, but it's probably replacing clean hands work with dirty hands work. So, that's a big step, isn't it? Out of your comfort zone potentially to maybe pursue something that you're, you're more passionate about. Um, and to take a hit on the wallet. But you're right, weekend work, cashies. I've got a client who actually bought a property about 12 months ago uh, who's second or third year carpentry apprentice and was was basically created his deposit through his weekend work. So, uh, yeah, he can lend on it. So there's no holding him back there and he can um, get some cashies to keep moving forward. Yeah. So, that's just an encouragement to everybody. If you don't like what you're doing and you want to make a change, I I took the view when I, so when I sold my financial planning business, it was kind of like, oh, I'm at the top of this mountain, you know, on the big fish in the pond or whatever it was. Mm. And now I'm going to do podcasting. I went from a cracking income to nothing overnight. Yeah. Now- what I've kind of described it as, whether you are changing careers, whether you are starting a business, it's the bow and arrow. To, to shoot the um, arrow, there's a period of time where you've got to pull back, where you've got to put pressure on, where it is tight, it is hard. But baby, once you get to the end of that, it stops and you let go and your career will go flying. So, if that's a metaphor for you out there in it's a good metaphor. listener land. And you've really hit the bullseye, haven't you? I've nailed that, John. <laughs> oh, dear goodness. Oh, uh, okay. So, speaking of dad jokes, right? I, I look at the podcast reviews, John, on Apple. Do you? Now, I try not to that much because um, my feelings get hurt when people have a go at me. But... Someone said this the other day. I love this. Oh, it's actually really long. Uh, It's Amy K underscore 91. 
I've listened from the start and compared to other financial podcasts, I find uh, M3 in very good depth and it's detailed. I feel Glenn actually reads his reviews and tries to grow and do better. So you're right. Like, so I look at the reviews just for trends. So if there's eight reviews in a row saying, you know, you're doing this wrong, or this yeah. sucks, yeah. it's a trend. We yeah. need to address it. But we can't please everyone. No. But, oh yeah, and, it, and it goes on and says, Glenn is an open book, honest, knowledgeable and human. Thank you. Uh, John is like a classic kind of dorky but lovable dad. Oh, dorky. Thanks, Amy. Yeah. Love um, it. So if you do listen on Apple, um, why don't you jump in, give us a five star if you do like our content. Yeah. And leave a nice review. And maybe we should read some nice reviews every now and again. Let's do that. So yeah, that would be fun. So on your patty for, um, for having it a crack. Mm, well done. And uh, we'll be right back after this. And we're going to talk about credit and lending. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. So John Dean Morrison says, credit and lending, what's important? Who does it well? Can you ever borrow money strategically? Should you borrow for everyday things? I'm going to let you answer this. <laughs> All right, thanks. So what's important with credit and lending? Well, a good track record helps. Uh, you don't necessarily need a track record to get lending, but um, if you've been on the earth for a while uh, paying bills then and, and you're paying them on time, then that's a, a massive positive. You haven't gone applying for too many loans and didn't get them or been rejected or just uh, willy-nilly went about getting credit cards and car loans and personal loans, etc. So uh, who does it well? I'm not sure if he's referring to lenders or actual individuals, but... I would say lenders. And to that, I would probably say it's just so important why you do need to speak to a mortgage broker. Yeah. So, we're not applying for multiple loans at any one time or, or well, multiple that, lenders. Well, they know that, hey, I'm a dentist, for example, yeah. um, and the mortgage broker will say, yeah, we've got this, uh, we know this product over here that mm. it's great for dentists because of this reason. Yeah. Or if you just went down to the local credit union, you know, whether you're a dentist or a farmer, you get the same thing. Yeah. And, and sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Like you could mm. go and apply for a loan at Westpac and get approved and that's all well and good, mm. but you don't know if you didn't compare the others as to what mm. if there was something better out there yeah. um yeah so can you ever borrow money strategically uh, yes you definitely can um strategically for mainstream lending is what i refer to as low doc loans so a lot of self-employed go down that path where they might just give them the a bass statements or tax returns and and that's it, or even just an accountant's declaration to say, yeah, Glenn James can afford X amount, um, give him a loan sort of thing. Mm. There's a premium that comes with that though, so you'll pay a higher interest rate, so just be aware of that. Personal lending or, or um, private investing is, is definitely a way to get a loan, uh, but again, you pay a premium for that. So investment companies or, or just people that have got some cash laying around and say, I wouldn't mind lending it, they're going to add their premium on top of that as opposed to a, a mainstream lender. Mm. 
Should you borrow for everyday things? I think we all know the answer to that. Um, definitely no. Mm. <laughs> uh, we, we just, if we can't afford it and it's not going to make us money, don't do it. Yeah, I just actually this morning before you got here, reshot the whole how to get out of debt module for the spending plan. Right. And it's like 55 minute module. So I'm I'm wound up, John, and I'm, like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> so just on the credit and lending, John touched on it. Don't worry about your dumb credit score. And the reason I say that, there is not a national government body who dishes out credit scores. There's three main bureaus in Australia, Equifax, Elyon, and I think Experian. And they have different customers. So one, Telstra might use one of them. Energy Australia might use the other one. And their own internal algorithms will produce a score what they think. So there's not one credit score. There's not one standard in Australia. Mm. When you're going for a loan, the banks will sweep either all or one or two of the bureaus and get a report and they will build their own credit profile. Now, they'll also look at your bank statements and say, oh, Johnny Boy over here. Yep, that's sweet. There's $100 at the RSL because it was Anzac Day yesterday. He played some two up. Uh, but we've seen $100 from the RSL every second day. Mm. Johnny Boy over here has a problem, it seems, with maybe gambling or maybe something. Mm. So the fact that there's $100 out of the ATM at the RSL every day might be a bigger deal if he's got a perfect credit score and the banks will make that judgment. Also, if they say Afterpay, if they say ZipPay, all this crap, while it doesn't go on your credit score, the bank will form their own profile. Mm. So as a good conscientious lender and applicant, the best thing that you can do is pay your bills on time, have money in the bank, keep out of consumer debt. We are not America. We do not need a credit score to get car insurance. We do not need a credit score Mm. to get life insurance, health insurance, a dating app, rent. It's, It's actually rubbish. And these companies, they'll go out there and say, sign up with us and we can give you a free credit score. It's a hook. Don't worry about it. Move on. Amen. I'll stop there. Amen. Um, Catherine Mack. Yeah. So, Catherine, money stress contributing to poor mental health. We've pretty much answered this in uh, in a number of the questions today. Mm. Well, well it's, it's going to be a similar answer, I suppose, what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah, with money stress, I don't know the the size of the uh, situation, but again, money in, money out. What's what's happening in that space? And and if we have some regrets over what we've spent, then just start looking forward and don't look in the rear vision mirror of what you've done. Just just change the the story you're telling yourself to get a better result. Mm. Yeah, I actually I think I touched on this in reshooting the spending plan, you've got to organize your money so there's a system. So at least we know, and and the spending plan, like it has the spreadsheet and it is archaic that we're doing a spreadsheet, but what it does, it helps you understand this page, you put your income, this page, you put all your expenses. This page will tell you how much to put in what account Mm. each week. So just having it laid out there helps you understand and just know that and it'll give you percentages and all that stuff. So you need a plan. Now, 
relating to money stress contributing to poor mental health, sometimes there can be money stress as in I don't have enough money, my um, my income and my mortgage, the ratio or the, my income and my rent to ratio is at 50% like Siobhan was asking. Mm. That's causing some actual stress because I literally have zero money left at the end of the week. What I would say is sometimes in our lives, the problem can present in a different way. So, an example, and this is just from me talking with people over numerous years, you might be having a rough trot with your relationship and you think, oh, this relationship sucks, this relationship sucks. But no, you hate your job and that's not happy. And it's manifesting when you get home. And you. Mm. So, what I would probably encourage Catherine to do is first try and identify the actual stressor. And you can go to your GP, get a mental health plan, get some, you know, I think the government provide um, psychologist uh, appointments because it's just so important to identify the stressor. And you said it really good, John. You've got to get to the point. It's like, we're here now. Forget the, the past. Mm. What can we do tomorrow? What can we do for the future? So I think it is multifaceted that we need to look at income, we need to look at expenses, we need to look at debt, we need to look at everything, savings rate and the spending plan or having a spreadsheet. And if you don't have that, get a bit of paper, write down everything, look at your bank statements, see, do an autopsy, where is the money going? Yep. See if you can pinpoint the money stress. Mm. Now, what if there was, uh, it was really tight and your mortgage was, 40, 50% of your income, what if for a short period of time, we change the mortgage repayment to interest only so we can have a breather, press reset, we need yeah. to sell the house, we need to downscale or whatever that is. So yeah. Yeah. I think it's important, John, to identify and pinpoint and then have a plan. Totally. No, it's very, very good recommendation. One thing I'll just finish on that for Catherine is not saying you're in this position at all, but um, are we thinking about what other others think of us. So that might actually be compounding the issue. I should be in a better position at my age or my friends are doing this, that and otherwise. So just making sure you, you're actually worrying about yourself and not what others think of you in this position maybe. Yeah. But also overall that word health, like my mental health is one thing, my physical health is another. So if we're eating crappy, not getting enough sleep, not exercising. You're talking to me. No, but if you want to uh, <laughs> take inspiration from what I'm about to say, then feel yeah, free. Yeah, I will. <laughs> so our mental health is improved when our physical health is is at its peak as well. So mm. it's overall health as well as uh, not not just focusing on how much is in my bank account. Yeah, and I think it's important to go back to that identification. It could be that you've got you know, clinical depression. So mm. I take Effexor 75 milligram a day. That's a lowish dose. It keeps me stable and all that stuff. Now, if I'm untreated, I can be doing dumb things with my money mm. and that can be causing money stress yeah. because I'm not whole. Yeah. And in the um, new spending plan video that we did, 
far out. We did so many videos. It's like yeah. 17 videos. Wow. And um, yeah, we're going to roll out them in the coming months. And everyone, there's a price increase going up. So if you haven't bought the spending plan and you want to get into it, get um, in, get in mm. and you will get all the updated stuff included. But um, there was this thing and uh, I use the example, this um, young lady who was in the Facebook group at some point over the last couple of years and she bought a $6,000 Prada bag with credit. Right. Now, clearly that's a lot of money, whether you earn 200 grand a year or $20,000. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. Like, I want everyone to have a Prada handbag if they want it or a Gucci handbag, whatever it was. But you've got to be able to afford it. Yeah. Now, her buying that put a lot of pressure in her life. And so, the financial stress was self-induced. Mm. Yeah. Was she depressed? Don't know. Maybe not. We do dumb stuff without having clinical depression. Yeah. But I, I just think there's such a correlation, John. Circumstance. And we need to make sure we're sleeping, eating healthy and exercising. Yeah, totally. Because then it allows us to tackle stuff with more resolve and resilience as yeah. well. Yeah. And, and more sleep before midnight as well. Oh, seriously. 10.30 p.m. If I'm not well and truly on the way to checked out yeah you know it's that's kind of my sweet spot yeah um mm. and then christina says tips for a successful mortgage application well i think we've um we kind of covered that with dean's question yeah but work with your mortgage broker i reckon john the best time to go to a mortgage broker is possibly um you've got a good savings rhythm happening, mm. you might have 5% of a down payment. So if you want to buy a unit for $500,000, you've at least got 25 grand yeah. and you got the wheels spinning. Mm. And then you can go to the mortgage broker, tell them your situation and get the tips from them that's customizable to your situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's especially at the time... Now with, um, I suppose, more people buying property than ever, I think, is that lending times, the turnaround times are obscene. Like we're talking some cases three weeks before your application even gets picked up. Mm. So having the expectation of, well, it's going to take double the time that I thought it was, so I'm going to prepare myself for that and not get frustrated from that point of view. Um, so if we've got that up our sleeve... Um, we, we don't get frustrated when we're sitting down with our mortgage broker and we actually start blaming the mortgage broker because the turnaround times aren't quick enough. Well, it's just the lenders. And, and the mortgage broker also know what the turnaround times for each banker. Westpac might be five weeks, but CBA might be three days. It might actually determine which lender you end up using. Totally. And just on that, the reason why the lenders are so pumped at the moment Number one, you know, the government's given out free money, interest rates are at record lows, um, blah, blah, blah. That in itself, it's busy out there. Uh, but COVID, what happened was a lot of these banks and lenders had their processing centres offshore. Mm. Now, I was at a, an event uh, a couple of weeks back with ING. Uh, I got invited and, you know, met the CEO, Melanie Evans. And I'm going to get Melanie on the podcast um, just to chat because, um, you know, really good story there. Like she'd been with the bank some time, you know, they didn't bring in a CEO from outside and yeah. anyway, I and think it's just, yeah, it's just refreshing. But anyway, so I was talking to them and they've got their processing, sta processing staff in Australia. Yeah. But 
some of these other banks and lenders that had their processing staff, say, in the Philippines, the Philippines call centers with COVID got shut down and no one could work from home, one, due to security and data, Mm. and two, due to unsecure internet and stuff like that. So, it literally, a lot of these banks and lenders stopped overnight for months. So, there's this backlog. Yeah, and they're, they're not always transparent about that either. Mm. They, they don't want to go to the coalface and tell the, the client that. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And it, and it can affect what you purchase. Totally. So, just on that, if you are, and thanks everyone for sending in their questions, you can email questions at mymillennial.money and uh, email your questions in and we'll add it to the question bank. Just in finishing up, we are excited to hit the road. We are. Are you right? You've distracted my train of thought with what you're doing over there. Oh, I'm you've, not doing anything. Oh, you've bloody got your phone. I thought you were taking a phone call or something. No, well, you were videoing me before. And I, I wasn't videoing. Was it was a single what photo. Single right. photo, yeah. Did you get my permission? No. No. And I'm going to plaster it everywhere <laughs> and sell it. Uh, but, John, we're, we're pumped to hit the road. Mm. Now, we've got some financial advisors and mortgage brokers um, locked in for Perth maybe Sydney and Brisbane. Anyway, if you're a mortgage broker and you want to uh, sponsor one of the local events and answer questions with us and and all that, reach out to me, mm. glenn.james at sortyourmoneyout.com. And or if you just want to email Glenn for no real reason, yeah. do Well, that Henry as well. the VA kind of looks at that inbox and filters. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't mind advertising that inbox because Henry uses it a lot of the time. Good on you, but, Henry. But um, yeah, so if you're a mortgage broker, maybe in Adelaide or Hobart or Canberra and you want to um, maybe sell your wares and teach us about mortgages and maybe get some clients from these events, uh, you're welcome to reach out glenn.james at sortyourmoneyout.com and I'll let you know what's required. But yeah, sortyourmoneyout.com forward slash tour. We're hitting the road, John. Can't wait. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Yep. So we're going to fly probably from Sydney to Adelaide and do Adelaide and Perth in the one week. Yeah. So what's the like? So you you fly with Virgin usually? Are they still a thing? Are they happening? I don't know. <laughs> it's been that long since I jumped on a plane. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going this Friday, but it's Qantas. Yeah. Right. Mm. Um, where are you going? Sunny Mildura. Why? Oh, it was weird. I was when I was on the road show. Yeah. My own family road yeah. show. <laughs> um, someone reached out to me when I was in the area and said, "Oh, can you run a corporate workshop for us, mm. uh, my team on a on property and everything mm. else?" So I said, "Yeah, cool. I'll just come back." Yeah, mm. and if you want John to ever come to your workplace and do workshops for your team or yeah. organisations, we'll send him because. People ask me, but I can't be bothered, to be frank. Well, I, I charge half the amount that Glenn does. Yeah, too, that too. So but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, John, you are most suited to, to that type of thing. I love it, actually. Yeah. I could never stop. I can't see myself never not doing that yeah. stuff. I love it. Yeah, and he's cheaper than me. <laughs> <laughs> I just pull my prices up because I can't be bothered. I noticed. But, um, yeah. no, but, it's, but it's so – and this is why I like these roadshows, John – I like that we're not doing them all week and week because I just get so – because being an introvert, you know, for the fellow introverts out there, if you're talking in front of people and presenting, like it's draining, like hardcore. So, Yeah, 
You sleep well that night, don't you? Very much so. Mm. All right, everyone. Sortyourmoneyout.com forward slash tour. Get the tickets while the getting's good. Um, This episode's going up, I think, the second week of May, and I'll be in New Zealand. I was supposed to go to Christchurch. I think we mentioned this one of the episodes last week, but Qantas cancelled the flight. And Phil Thompson, who was recently on the insurance episode, because I said to Phil, why don't you come over and work from there for a week with me? Yes. And I said, I'm not there to play with you and all that stuff and sightsee. <laughs> I just want a friend to, you know, go to dinner with or mm. have brekkie or whatever. So he's coming over with me and he goes, oh, cancel Christchurch and go to Queenstown because Qantas have a direct from Melbourne to Queenstown. Ah, uh, did I? And I said, nah, not canceling my t- ticket. If you want to come, I'll be in Christchurch. Mm. Uh, but then when Qantas cancelled, I rebooked Queenstown. Queenstown. And uh, Phil's going to come and meet me over there for a couple awesome. of days and... Get some work done. Beautiful. So, next week's podcast, I've got to record and I might do it with Phil there on site. So, cool. All right, peeps. Thank you so much for listening. Yep. You've been real. I've been Glenn. This has been John Pigeon. Bye. See ya. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.